It's been said that a good scare is worth a lot more than good advice. How much pain do you and I need to endure before we humble ourselves and say, God, I'm going to do it your way, not my way. Welcome to the Mana Bible Lessons Podcast. Mana is a Bible study life group that meets at Valley Baptist Church in Bakersfield, California, every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. However, if you're listening from another part of the world, then we welcome you and we invite you to stay tuned after the lesson to hear how you can submit your prayer request to be on our prayer sheet. Thank you for joining us. And now here's Brad Hannock. students, if you would open your Bibles to uh, Genesis 32, and we will um, carry on with the life of Jacob. 2019 is here already. Hard to believe, huh? That's when you look in the mirror and you say, I can't believe another year has passed, and then you get up the next morning and you say, oh yeah, more than a year's passed. Okay, it, it's it's Father time and Mother Nature going to mess you up, as Pastor Roger said, but we have heaven to look forward to. So Genesis uh, 32, it's been said that a good scare is worth a lot more than good advice. Unfortunately, we humans forget advice, even good advice, but sheer terror can be memorable. I'll never forget the night when I was 19, I almost ran into the side of a semi-truck that was crossing in front of me. Yeah, I had the stop sign. They didn't. I almost saw Jesus. It would have been my fault. You really do see your whole life flash in front of you, especially when you're breaking the law. So today, we're going to look at Jacob. And Jacob is in the grip of fear. He's actually in the grip of terror. God has allowed a crisis in Jacob's life that is designed for the specific purpose of turning Jacob from trusting in himself to trusting in God alone. And when we're terrified, we can learn more about ourselves than we would have if everything stays on an even keel. So I know some of you are in the middle of crises, some of you are coming out of crises, and this is really not good news for 2019, but some of us are going to have a crisis in 2019. Amen? Count on it. All it takes is one phone call. It says, um, you have cancer, there's been an accident. Whatever it takes, it only takes one phone call to change our perspective about what's really important. And Jacob is going to get this today in spades. Someone had once said, there are no atheists in foxholes. I think that's one of the reasons why sometimes God has us spend a large chunk of our life in foxholes. Yes? When our life is at stake, we realize, for maybe for the first time, how little we really do control and how much we really do depend on God. So let's give you a little historical context where we've been. Jacob is, of course, the son of Isaac, Isaac, and his grandfather is Abraham. Abraham. He is the progenitor of the promise to the Jewish people. God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees 100 plus years ago, gave him a promise of land, descendants, and through his descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That promise came through to Isaac and through to Jacob as well. Jacob is a schemer. Jacob is a liar. 
He conspired with his mother to lie to his father and steal his brother's inheritance. His brother Esau threatened to kill him, and so he fled 555 miles northeast to Haran, the birthplace of his mother Rebekah. And he spent 14 years working up there for his wonderful, thieving, cheating uncle Laban, pay for the bridal price of the dowries for Laban's two daughters, Leah and Rachel, whom Jacob married both of them within an eight-day period. If that doesn't frighten you, then you do not understand the nature of the situation. The last six years that Jacob has been there, he has been working for Laban to build his own herds and flocks because he has a large family to take care of. In about six years, he has 11 children by four women. If that doesn't terrify you, you also do not understand the situation. <laughs> and you think your life is complicated. Just perspective, right? So God has blessed Jacob with huge flocks and herds, large family, and Uncle Laban becomes jealous, extraordinarily jealous. God appears to Jacob and said, it's time for you to leave Haran, the land of your mother, Rebekah, and go back to Canaan where you came from, 550 miles to the south west. Jacob is terrified that Laban will not let him go because God has been blessing Laban on his behalf. So he sneaks away when Laban is shearing his sheep. He's out of town uh, and Laban and his family take up arms. They chase down Jacob about 300 miles out of Haran uh, in the Gilead Hills and He's planning on taking all the herds and flocks back by force, but God speaks to Laban in a dream and says, don't touch Jacob and don't threaten him and don't try and talk him back into coming back to Haran. So Jacob and Laban swear to a mutual non-aggression pact and they separate and they never see each other again. Rob's going to give you a map of, of Canaan and Haran and this journey uh, back 550 miles back to Canaan. So let's pick up the narrative with that map in mind in chapter 32, verse 1. Now, as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Verse 2. Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. The messengers returned to Jacob and said, we came to your brother Esau and by the way, he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Here's the principle. And this is what we can practice in 2019 and thereafter. When problems occur, and by the way, for those of you that don't believe they will occur, they will occur. I didn't say if problems occur, it's when problems occur. Here's your sequence. Pray first, plan second, act third. Got the sequence? Pray first, plan second, act third. And that will enable you to look at your problems through the lens of God's capabilities, not your own abilities. So the principle is when problems occur, pray first, plan second, act third. Look at your problems through the lens of God's capabilities, not your own capabilities. So Jacob has left Canaan, or Laban, in Haran. He's journeying into Canaan, and God reassures Jacob that he's going to protect him. 
not only has God just spoken to Laban and kept him from harming Jacob, God reassures Jacob by supernaturally opening his eyes so that he can see God's angels who are literally accompanying him into the land of Canaan. Reminds us of a time centuries later, there was a prophet named Elisha, prophet of God, and he was telling the king of Israel the battle plans of the king of Syria. God revealed them to him. He said, here's where the king of Syria is going to attack you. Be prepared there. Two weeks later, here's where the king of Assyria is going to attack there. Be prepared. The king of Assyria is furious. He says, who's the traitor? And then one of his generals says, the prophet Elisha is telling the king of Israel your battle plans that you talk about in your bedroom to your generals. So the king of Assyria is pretty angry, and he sends an army to the city of Dothan where Elisha is staying. He's going to capture him, capture the prophet of God. 2 Kings 6, verse 15. Now when the attendant or the servant of the man of God, this is Elisha's servant, had risen early in the morning and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. This was the Syrian army come to capture Elisha. And the servant said to Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So Elisha answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, general rule of thumb, we cannot see the invisible realm, the spiritual dimension that exists beyond our human senses, but the physical realm exists as a substructure of the spiritual realm within which it is encompassed. It's very, very, not only likely, probable, but certain that there are angels present in this room. Lots of them. There are, present, there are angels present in your life. There are angels probably guarding your home as we speak. We know that every young child has and their own guardian angel. Jesus told us that. We just can't see them, and so we behave most of the time as if they don't exist. God's angels are messengers who do God's will and serve His people, which means you have a host of angels that serve you. The good news is you can't command them because you would give them many foolish commands. Only God can command them because He knows what they need to do and when they do it. So angels, angels are present. Jacob can't see them, but God opens his eyes so he can see them as assurance. Jacob, you're going into the land of Canaan. There's going to be enemies, but I am with you, and I will protect you by means of my angels. These angels, by the way, may have resembled the angels that Jacob saw at Bethel 20 years ago. So Jacob sees that there are literally two camps. There's his camp, his four wives and sons and daughters and, and animals, and then there's a the camp of the angels. So there's literally, Jacob sees that he's camping, and God has a campsite next to him. And in that camp are angels. Do you think that was comforting? I would suspect it's highly comforting. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. That's you and I. So you, literally, the picture is one of God's people being surrounded by angels who rescue them from harm. 
So Jacob calls this place Mahanaim, which literally means double camp or two camps. There's his camp, and then there's God's camp, the camp of the angels. So God's showing Jacob, clearly, I'm going to supernaturally protect you as you obey me and go back into Canaan. See, when you focus on God's protection, your faith grows and you experience God's peace. When you focus on your problems, your faith shrinks and you experience fear. And here's the solution. It's real simple. Gaze at God, glance at your problems. Write it down. Gaze at God, glance at your problems. Here's what Satan wants you to do. Gaze at your problems. Stare at them. You know what happens when you stare at something? It dominates your thinking. What you focus on determines your state of mind. If you focus on the promises of God, if you keep Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit as written in the Word of God in front of you all the time, your faith will grow. That's why Scripture memory is so important. That's why we should be opening the Word of God every single day. Whatever you gaze at gets bigger. That's why you gaze at God and you see your problems through the lens. I had cataract surgery. You really are blurry this week. For those of you who haven't done it, I recommend it by faith. I haven't seen it yet, but anyway. Gaze at God. Glance at your problems. See your problems from God's points of view. So, even though God has already protected him from Laban, Jacob knows he's got unfinished business. With who? His brother. He knows that he's got to reconcile with his brother because they left 20 years ago and Esau swore to kill him. I would say that's unfinished business. So he sends messengers to Esau to tell him he's coming and to let him know that this is not a surprise. I have no ill intent. I'm coming with flocks and herds and kids. And he refers to Esau as my Lord. And he says, I am your servant, Jacob. So he's clearly humbling himself before Esau. And the messengers come back and tell Jacob the worst possible news. Esau's coming to meet you. And he has 400 men with him. And these probably include extended family members. Esau had a large family, as well as mercenaries. Now, Esau's already conquered the land of Edom, the land of Seir. These are armed men. An army, if you will, of 400 people. And Jacob has no arms at all. So Jacob assumes the worst. Jacob assumes that Esau's still angry with him, still intends to harm him, maybe even kill him. Jacob is still struggling with guilt. He stole from his brother and then ran away. Stole a blessing. So Jacob becomes fearful, and he does what we do. He immediately falls back into trusting his own plans to fix it. I know God's got angels out there, but I need to take care of this myself. You ever notice that fear has a way of fogging your memory? That fear has a way of fogging what God has done for you in the past? So, so Jacob, he's got a plan right away. He divides his camp into two companies, two groups. The group of animals and kids in one group, and he does another group there, and he says, well, if Esau attacks one, the other one will escape. That was a little naive. If God's angels are present, which they are, he's already seen them, Esau cannot harm him. And if God doesn't protect him, then dividing his camp into two doesn't mean anything because 400 people, 400 armed soldiers are going to take care of two camps immediately. 
Jacob's just seen God's camp. But he focuses on Esau, forgets about God's protection, and his default mode is, i got to do this myself. I'm going to handle this myself. By the way, planning is an excellent strategy. We're not critiquing Jacob for having a plan. The problem is we are encouraged to make plans, but not our plans, right? The order is always pray first, plan second, act third. Jacob has it backwards. He plans first, executes his plan, and then prays afterwards, right? The truth is we need to ask God to show us what his plans are and then execute his plans for us. Psalm 33:11. The reason we want God's plans is because the plans of the Lord, the counsel of the Lord what? Stand forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. So when you implement God's plans, you know it's a good plan. When we implement our plans, especially when they're based on fear, like Jacob is, we know that's not a good plan. So God is arranging Jacob's circumstances in order to bring Jacob to the end of his own resources so that Jacob will learn to depend on God alone. Jacob is so scared that he actually finally does pray, but only after he set his own plan in motion. By the way, Jacob is 97 years old now, and to our knowledge, Scripture, this is the first recorded prayer that Jacob has in Scripture, 97. It's a very good prayer, by the way, but it's a prayer of a man whose faith is very weak and whose fear is very strong. This is not a prayer of confidence. This is a prayer of desperation. You ever had, had a prayer of desperation? Oh, God, help. Help! You ever had that? Of course you have. Verse 9, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau and from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Here's the principle. When you pray, notice I said when you pray, not if you pray. Prayer is not optional, by the way, just in case you wonder. If you think prayer is optional, God will arrange your circumstances where it will no longer be optional. No worries. When you pray, four things. Number one, recite God's promises. He's made you many, many, many precious promises. Know them and recite them back to God. Number two, confess your sinfulness. Number three, recount His blessings. And then lastly, Ask for yourself. When you pray, recite God's promises, confess your sinfulness, recount his blessings, and then ask for his help. So first of all, Jacob begins his prayer by reminding God of the promises that he's already made to Jacob. This is the God who told Jacob to return to Canaan, and Jacob is obeying. 
This is the God who told him, you return to Canaan, I'll prosper you. Jacob is reminding God, I'm obeying you. I'm in Canaan because you commanded me to do this, and you made promises to me, and I'm reminding you of those promises. See, we can only approach God on the basis of who he is and what he has done, right? Not on the basis of who we are and what we have done. Because we haven't done anything that's worthy of his attention. So we approach God on the basis of what, who he is and what he has done and the promise he's made. Secondly, Jacob confesses his own unworthiness. He says, I am not worthy. By the way, if you ever go to God, bless me, Lord, because I am so worthy. I want you to know that prayer won't go very far. God's hearing aid doesn't work. That's a figure of speech. He doesn't need a hearing aid, but he will not hear that kind of a prayer. So Jacob confesses his unworthiness. He acknowledges, you know, everything I have came from you. 20 years ago, I crossed this river. You know what I had in my hand? A shepherd's staff. That's it. And the clothes on my back. 20 years later, I come across here. I've got thousands of animals. I've got four wives and 11 children. I mean, you talk about blessing. He understands that everything he has is a result of a gift from God, not as a result of his brilliance. And the third thing, after he reminds God of his promises, confesses his own unworthiness, then he pleads for deliverance from Esau. And he's honest with God. He says, God, I fear him that he's going to come and kill me and kill my families. Fascinating. He prays for protection, but God has already shown him a camp of angels with him. Is it wrong to do that? I think he's wise to pray for protection. We should always pray for protection. What he doesn't pray for is direction. God, what do you want me to do in light of the circumstances that I am in at this point in time? So when you pray, it's wonderful to pray for protection, but also ask God what you should be doing in light of that. So Jacob reminds God again, it's based on your promises made to be, made to, that you made to me 20 years before, and God is delighted when you quote his word back to him. If you want power in prayer, take his word and quote it back to him. He loves to keep his promises. And he has made hundreds to us. They wrote them all down. Great comfort, great faith, and God keeps his word. Verse 13. So Jacob spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau. Verse 20b, for he said, I will appease Esau with a present that goes before me. Then afterwards I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So when you go through the laundry list here between verse 13 and verse 20, you see that Jacob puts together a list of about 580 animals. That is a significant gift. Back in the day when livestock was your measure of wealth, and he hopes that he will be able to appease Esau's anger and pacify their relationships. I have no idea how big Jacob's herds were, but if he gave Esau a tenth, he had about 6,000 animals. If he gave him a 5% gift, he had 12,000 animals. That's a lot of flocks and herds. God had blessed Jacob enormously. And Jacob is giving this gift to Esau because he thinks that wealth is as important to Esau as it is to him. Wealth is pretty important to Jacob. So he's going to use this gift 
to try and buy Esau's favor so Esau will not be angry at him. He, Jacob is doing what we do. He's vacillating between fear of Esau and faith in God. Fear of Esau, faith in God. You ever done that? You ever gone back and forth between fear and faith? Yeah, you go to bed at night and you say, Lord Jesus, this, 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 and this, and this, I'm worried about, I'm anxious about, can you handle it? I trust you, you're God, you're on the throne, done. And within 30 minutes, you go, ah, I don't know. I don't know whether God can deal with that. And so you're turning and tossing, and, and you've taken it all back. So you give it to God again. God, you can deal with this. I know you're God. You're on the throne. Da, 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 da. I trust you. And you give it to him faith. And 10 minutes later, the fear creeps back in. You're going, I don't know if I can handle this or not. What's going to happen tomorrow morning when I have to deal with X, Y, Z, whatever it is, right? We vacillate between fear and faith and fear and faith just like Jacob. We are him in so many ways. Even though we've seen the angels, he's still scared about Esau. Even though God is protected from Laban, he's still guilty over his brother. He's not sure God's going to deal with that. Here's our key problem. When we fear a particular outcome, you know, I don't know whether God's going to handle Esau. The problem is, is we want God to execute our plan. Right? So when, when you worry about something the next morning, you're worried, and I'm worried, that our plan will not happen. And we want God to make sure our plan happens. And that's what we're worried about. If we surrendered and then said, God, whatever you choose to happen on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock with that doctor's appointment, whatever you want to happen, I'm okay with, then you have peace. But we tell God, God, here's the agenda. Make it good news. I don't know if it's going to be good news. That's his problem. That's your, not your problem. Tuesday morning's not here. That's not yours. So when we worry, we take it back from God. We tell God, I don't know if you can deal with this. I know you created the heavens and the earth. I know there's heaven waiting for me, but I don't know if you can deal with this cancer diagnosis. I'm not sure you're strong enough. And you go, well, okay, all right. He's God. He can deal with that. Yes, he can. And that's why we go back to the Word of God and be reminded over and over and over of what God has already said and done. Verse 21. So this present of 580 animals passes on before Jacob while he himself spent the night in the camp. So Jacob's in his camp. And he sends the present, and when you read the verses, he's got a whole elaborate scene. He sends the sheep in one drove. A little while later, he sends the goats in another drove. Then he sends the camels in another drove. Then he sends the donkeys in another drove. And he tells the herdsmen, he says, when you get to Esau, Esau will say, what's this? And he say, this is a present from your servant Jacob. And I mean, he's sucking up, really sucking up. He's just hoping that gift after gift after gift after gift will make Esau peaceful. That's a human solution to a spiritual problem. The issue is Jacob's still feeling guilty and he's trying to buy Esau's favor. This is Jacob the schemer still trying to make it work his way and God is going to break him of that habit. 
Verse 21, so the present passed on before him while he himself spent the night in the camp. Now he arose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Then he took them and sent them across the stream and sent across whatever he had. Rob's going to show you a map of the, of the land of Canaan. You'll notice that the Jordan River runs north and south. And you have the Sea of Galilee toward the north and the Dead Sea toward the south. About halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, off to the right-hand side, you're going to see a little river running east and west called the Jabbok River, J-A-B-B-O-K, a Yabok. It's a small stream, probably no more than 60 miles long, and it feeds the ravines and it runs into the Jordan River. Jacob is just camped north of that Jabbok River, just north. Esau is south. Esau is in Edom, way on the south end of things. Esau's coming north to meet him. Jacob's coming down from Damascus, and he's camped on the north side of the Jabbok. And it says, apparently he was asleep, woke up during the night, moved his family south across the river to the south side of the Jabbok River, right? In the middle of the night. And then he went back to the north side of the Jabbok River. Now, we don't know why necessarily, but apparently he had gone to sleep in the middle of the night, felt compelled to pack up his family, move him across the Jabbok River. Maybe he wanted to get an early start in the morning. And it clearly states that he went back across the river alone to his former campsite. So his family's on the south side of the river. Jacob's on the north side of the river. Esau is way south, coming north to meet him. Now, I don't know whether Jacob's just checking to make sure he you know, didn't, miss anything. Maybe the iron was still plugged in, you know, and they had to kind of get that, you know, before they left. We know that Jacob was all alone. By divine design, he was all alone. And then he was under, and then he was attacked. Verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Here's the principle. God's ultimate blessing is the purpose, peace, and pleasure that comes from a relationship with God himself. Do not trade your life for anything less. God's ultimate blessing is the purpose, peace, and pleasure that comes from a relationship with God himself. Don't trade your life for anything less. What I find intriguing is that all of this occurred when Jacob was alone. I wonder how many times we are alone. I don't necessarily mean without people. Have you ever been alone for any length of time without your phone? That would be more lonely for most people than not having people around. No phone. No electronic devices. No television. No nothing. Just alone. I recommend that you try it. The still, small voice of God is often only heard when the noise of the world is shut off. And most of us 
Most people are terrified of silence. Part of it is they really don't want to hear from God. Because when God comes to us, he does not give us suggestion, he gives us command. Because he loves us, he gives us command. God has arranged for Jacob to be all alone so he can have a direct encounter with God himself. And one of Satan's key devices is to keep us busy and keep us noisy and keep us moving so that God's voice is not heard because the culture is clamoring with noise and sound and the latest and greatest trending news, which of course you'll forget in five minutes because there'll be another piece of trending news. Right? Strongly consider in 2019 making alone time every day. And that means you don't have your phone on vibrate. It means you don't have the phone in the room. Seriously. I challenge you. Try it. You and Jesus alone. So, Jacob has cried out to God for deliverance. God's going to answer his prayer. But he's not going to answer his prayer in the way Jacob expects. Jacob expects comfort and what he got was conflict. Right? Jacob obviously was not expecting to be assaulted. But he goes back to the camp and says, somewhere during the night, he's attacked. And he begins to struggle with this man who assails him. I don't know if you ever wrestled. I wrestled a little bit in high school. You ever watched a wrestling match? It is physically exhausting to wrestle. Jacob is literally fighting for his life. He doesn't know who he's fighting with, and he has no idea why he's being attacked. No clue. And it's dead at night, and he's tired, and he's attacked. This would be a maximum point of vulnerability, would you agree? God has arranged this by design. Jacob doesn't know that God's the aggressor, but God is the aggressor. God initiated this fight. Jacob did not initiate this fight. God initiated this conflict. God's goal is to stop Jacob from trusting in his own schemes his own plans, his own strategies. I'm going to do this my way. Now, literally, Jacob's motives were pretty good. He wanted God's blessing, but his methods were all backwards. He'd been trying to get God's blessing through deceit, through deception, through theft. He conspires with his mother, lies to his father, steals from his brother. Now, that's really good for family relationships, just saying he schemes to defraud his uncle Laban, and now he's trying to bribe his brother into not attacking him. Jacob's got a lot of relational, unfinished business with his family. What I find interesting, God initiated this conflict with Jacob and is wrestling with him. Do you think God could have ended this fight like that? Sure. But God doesn't. How long does God wrestle with Jacob? All night long. And you say, how come this wrestling match lasted all night long? I'll tell you why. Because Jacob refused to submit. Jacob refused to give up. God could have ended the fight endlessly, but God was going to let Jacob exhaust himself. Here's the interesting question. 
How much pain do you and I need to endure before we humble ourselves and say, God, I'm going to do it your way, not my way. Have you ever been amazed at how much pain and suffering people will put up with in order to do it their way? Some of us have relatives like that, friends like that. Some of us look back on our history and we are amazed at how foolish we were because we were going to do it our way in the face of enormous pain and enormous suffering and enormous troubles and trials because we were convinced our plan is better than God's plan. Jacob is stubborn, and he keeps fighting all night long until daybreak. Steve Cole writes that God let Jacob fight all night long to show him how self-willed and stubborn he really was. Now, it's almost daylight, and Jacob's opponent touches Jacob's hip bone socket right here on the socket, and dislocates it instantly. If you ever had a dislocated joint, it is not fun. It is very painful. You stretch the tendons like crazy. Now this instantly crippled Jacob's ability to go on the offense because he had no power in his legs. The only thing Jacob could do when his lower half is decommissioned, he can hang on with his hands. And he's hanging on to his opponent for dear life. He hasn't given up yet. At this point in time, Jacob must have known that God was his opponent. Because when you get one touch of your opponent's finger and your hips dislocated, you realize this is not a human opponent. This is supernatural. Years ago, Bill Gaither wrote a song called, He Touched Me. And you all know it. He touched me, oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Wonderful tune. And we usually interpret those words to mean that God's touch heals our hurts, makes us feel better. I'm going to suggest that in many cases, God's loving touch hurts us first in order to heal us later. God's loving touch disabled Jacob physically so he could heal him spiritually. When God allows crises in our life or arranges them, and he does, he always has purpose. And his purpose is always good. His purpose is always for our ultimate benefit, but it almost always entails short-term, immediate pain and suffering now. And that's when we say, God, if you loved me, you would take away my pain. And God says, no, because I love you, you need this pain. And we go, whoa, 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 that's not how I interpret love. And God says, it's not your interpretation of love that counts. It's mine because I'm planning for eternity, and you're planning for lunch. Just in terms of time frame. A.W. Tozer wrote, John Stone quoted me this one time, it is doubtful whether God can bless someone greatly until he has hurt them deeply. It is doubtful whether God can bless someone greatly until he has hurt them deeply. Many of you in this room, including me, 
our very ministries, our very walk with Jesus has been radically impacted because of our suffering. We would not be walking with God the way we're walking with Him now if everything was sweetness and light and happy high notes. Everything was always good. We need the heartbreak of suffering in order to do what? Draw us closer to our King. So when we endure suffering, when we endure struggles, those are blessings from God. We don't interpret them that way most of the time. We want God to relieve them. And yet it's essential. So when you sing that song, he touched me, oh, he touched me. Sometimes that touch is going to involve pain. But it's a loving touch. Because God knows what we need. He knows when we need it. It's daylight. The man has crippled Jacob. And the man says, let me go. And Jacob says, forget about it. Right? What does Jacob say? I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, this is remarkable. Jacob's in excruciating pain. He's fought all night. He's exhausted. He's terrified. He's got a dislocated hip. And the guy says, let me go. I've just crippled you. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Do you think Jacob was a pretty strong-willed guy? Do you think he knew what he wanted? Yes. Here's the point. God's greatest blessing is always God himself. His greatest blessing is never what he brings. It's never happy family relationships, robust health, financial security. His greatest blessing is always himself. A blessing is anything that God gives you that makes you satisfied in him. But many times that channel that God uses us to draw us closer to him is pain and problems and loss and struggle and all those things. You know, the blessing of God is far more than happy circumstances. The blessing of God has everything to do with intimacy with Him. We've said this before, write it down. A blessing is anything that draws you closer to Jesus. Write it down, don't look at me. A blessing is anything that draws you closer to Jesus. And this week, many of us in this room are going to be blessed with a problem or a struggle or a frustration that does what? Draws us closer to Jesus. Jacob was extremely clear on what he wanted. He wanted the blessing of God. And I applaud him for that. God is the greatest treasure in all of life, and Jacob knows it. And God delights to bless those who value him more than anything else. You know, our application here is pretty, I guess in some sense, is very convicting. How bad do we want a deeper relationship with Jesus? Don't answer it. I don't, I don't. How bad? You know, we know how much we value Jesus by what it costs us to obey him. We know how much we value Jesus by what it costs us to obey Him. Many people can't even get out of bed on a Sunday morning and go to church because they value sleeping in more than Jesus. And you go, whoa, wow. Okay. I mean, that's pretty obvious, but none of us do that. We're all here. But if you want to know how much you value Jesus, ask God to open your eyes to the things you value more than Him. He will do it. And it will be very uncomfortable.
It's easy to sit here and sing the happy tunes, oh, how I love Jesus. And the Lord says, how much of your cross are you willing to take up in order to know me better? Because I am your greatest treasure. I am your greatest treasure. Jacob fought all night until he's crippled and disabled, and even then he refused to quit until God blessed him. You want more of God? Give him all of you. Write it down. You want more of God? Give him all of you. God has already given you all of him. If we want more of God, it's because he doesn't have all of us. Give God your habits. Got a few of those I probably should give him. Give God your goals. Give God your fears. Give God your desires. Give God your children. Yeah, some of you are going, I, I gave them to him. Give God your grandchildren. Give God your future. Give God all of you. Verse 27. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel or Peniel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh and the sinew of the hip. Here's the principle. God wants us to have a face-to-face -face encounter with us every day so that he can make us more like Jesus. God wants to have a face-to-face -face encounter with us every day so he can make us more like Jesus. So God is teaching Jacob through experience that God was superior to him and that Jacob needed to submit to God's authority in his life. By the way, this was not a dream. I've read a number of commentaries, oh, this is a dream. No, this is a physical fight with a physical man and a, with a physical injury. You don't wake up with a dream and your hip is disabled and you're limping, right? Jacob had thought his enemies were his father-in-law, Laban. Jacob thought his enemies were his brother Esau. In reality, his enemy was God. And Jacob had been fighting God for 97 years. Because Jacob said, I'm going to do it my way. Jacob's worst enemy was his pride that kept him doing it his way and not God's way. Years and years ago, great British writer G.K. Chesterton was once asked by a magazine to write an article and answer the question, what is wrong with the world? Now that would be an interesting, if someone asked you, write down an article, we're going to publish it, what is wrong with the world? So they asked G.K. Chesterton, write the answer and, in an article, and we'll publish it. What is wrong with the world? And Chesterton's answer was only two words long. He wrote, I am. Signed it, sent it into the editor for publication. What's wrong with the world? I am. That's pretty accurate. There's an old spiritual that says, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. 
Jacob may have thought he was doing well, but all it took was one touch from God and Jacob was physically disabled because no one successfully fights God. He's going to outlive you. Jacob didn't need to fight all night. He could have surrendered really early on. And I tell people, we've talked about this in class, why waste your life fighting God? Surrender up front. Surrender every day. Do it his way. You'll save yourself a lot of scar tissue and a lot of suffering. God asked Jacob, what is your name? By the way, when God asks you questions, he is never seeking information. He knows the answer. He asked Jacob what his name is because he wanted Jacob to take ownership of the character Jacob had become. And the name Jacob or Jacob means supplanter, heel catcher, schemer, right? That's what the name means. And he wanted Jacob to own that. This is the kind of character I am. And only after Jacob confessed and agreed with God about his true nature would God bless him. Jacob wanted God's comfort and when he got a wrestling match is that showed him his true nature, self-centered and a deceiver. And God changed Jacob's name to Israel, reflecting his changed character, his new phase of life with God. In the Bible, by the way, your name always reflects your character. It always reflects a new relationship with God. God changed Abraham's, Abram's name to Abraham, Sarai's name to Sarah, right? Simon to Peter. A new name means a new status, a new character. The name Israel means he who wrestles with God and men and prevails. Interesting that Jacob began this night afraid of who? Esau. So when the dawn breaks, he's going out to meet Esau, and he's even less able to meet him. He's now limping, right? His hip's out of joint. So he is physically less capable of meeting Esau than he was the night before. But in the morning, Jacob's no longer trusting his ability to take care of Esau. He's trusting in God's ability. He's now trusting and depending on the power of God that came to him through faith and prayer, not his own schemes. Jacob now, Israel, asks the angel, what's your name? And, of course, the angel doesn't give him an answer. The implication is, Jacob, you should know the answer. I'm God. It says God blessed Jacob there, and Jacob names this location Peniel, which means face of God. He says, I've seen God face to face and lived. Jacob has seen the second member of the Trinity. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ prior to his incarnation at Bethlehem. He's not only seen Jesus, he's the only man in Scripture who's wrestled with Jesus. Question, you ever wrestled with God? Of course you have. You might have denied that, but we've all wrestled with God. Ever disagreed with God? Ever told him about it? Ever told God you disagreed with what he was doing? Ever argued with him and said, I don't like the way you're handling this situation? I think you should deal with my children different than what you are. I'm angry because I've got this health diagnosis. I don't like it. Most of the time, we sweet-talk God. We're angry inside, but we're passive-aggressive. We are. We tell God what we think he wants to hear. We've got all the God talk. We've got all the nice language. Be real. God can deal with your honesty. He knows it anyway. Right? Tell him straight up. 
It's not fine. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm frustrated. I feel betrayed. You said you'd touch me, and I thought that was going to bring me joy, and it's bring me sorrow. What is this suffering business? Be real with God. God loves you regardless. You can't fix a problem that you pretend doesn't exist. Jacob goes to the mat with God. He refuses to quit. He loses the match, and yet God calls him one who wrestles with God and men and prevails. Jacob became Israel, the one who prevailed, because at the end he surrendered to God's will, not his will. He refused to accept anything less than God himself. When you desire God more than you desire anything else, God will always answer that prayer. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, God's telling Israel, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13, for those of you who want to read that. We know what our calling is. Our calling is articulated in the first and great commandment, which is what? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. And we've been given 2019 as a gift. I don't know how many of us are going to see 2020. Some of us might not. This is the day that you and I have been given as a gift from God. And God's called us into the land of Canaan, into the land of promise, into the land of opportunity to carry the gospel to people who need it. I'm not worried about your future. If you know Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven, but you have family and friends that need you to tell them about Jesus. He needs to be your number one love. And if you're going to make a New Year's resolution, pray about it before you make it. Let's review, and then I'll have Tom ask to come up and do our prayer and praises. Number one, when problems occur, and they will, pray first, plan second, Act third, look at your problems through the lens of God's capabilities, not your own abilities. Number two, when you pray, recite God's promises first. Then confess your sins, then recount his blessings, and lastly, ask for his help. Number three, God's ultimate blessing is the purpose, peace, and pleasure that comes from a relationship with God himself. Don't trade your life for anything less than God himself. And lastly, God wants to have a face-to-face -face encounter with us every day so that he can make us more and more like Jesus. I pray that 2019 would be a year in which you would be willing to go to the mat with God and wrestle with him and not let go until you experience all the blessing that he has for you. Read ahead, please. Lord willing, we'll pick up in Exodus or Genesis 33 next week. I do love you. Now that you know, do. Manna meets at Valley Baptist Church at 4800 Fruitvale Avenue in Bakersfield, California every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. in the choir room. We would love for you to join us. Here at Manna, we believe in doing life together. So if you're in need of prayer, submit your request to manabiblepodcast at gmail.com and our class will be happy to pray for you. Thank you for joining us today. And now that you know, do.